Let's open our Bibles to Ezekiel. Let's pick up where Paul was reading for us in chapter five, verses one through five. And you, son of man, take a sharp sword and take it as a barber's razor and pass it over your head and on your beard. And then I want you to take balances and weigh and divide the hair. You shall burn with fire one-third in the midst of the city. When the days of the siege are finished, then you will take one-third and strike around it with the sword. One-third you will scatter in the wind. I will draw out a sword after them. You will also take a small number of them and bind them in the edges of your garment. And then take some of them and throw them into the midst of the fire and burn them in the fire. For from there a fire will go out of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem, and I have set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all around her. As we look at the setting of Ezekiel, and as we look at these verses here, let me just set the stage. Ezekiel, contrary to just getting done with Jeremiah, Jeremiah, as Ezekiel speaks this, is in Jerusalem. Ezekiel, however, is in Babylon. And even though he's in exile, Jerusalem has not yet fallen. That third and final attack by Nebuchadnezzar has not yet taken place. And what's going on behind the scenes is there are false prophets that are telling the people in Babylon, um, don't worry about a thing. Um, Babylon is not going to destroy Jerusalem. Everything's going to be fine. And so the Lord resorts to these signs. And I've entitled the morning's message, Warning Signs. So to explain to the people through signs and symbols that you're not going back to Jerusalem, the false prophets are wrong, I'm going to have Ezekiel cut his hair, divided into three portions, as a warning sign. Don't listen to the false prophets. You're not going back to Jerusalem. For the next 70 years, you're going to be here. And the way that this is communicated to the people is by the verses that we just read this morning. And uh, Ezekiel is giving them warning signs that they're not going to go back. They need to settle in. And they need to mark these these guys that are false prophets. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, it said, God at various times and in various ways spoke in the past of the fathers by the prophets. That's verse 1. Well, how did he speak? Well, here we have a prophet. He's speaking through dreams. Daniel spoke through dreams and visions and signs. This here is clearly a warning sign. In verse 2 of Hebrews, it says, But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, that he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the worlds. In other words, in the past, he spoke to prophets through signs, visions, and dreams. In these, these days, he's given us the words of his own Son. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean that the Lord didn't use Signs to warn. One of my points this morning is actually to point out in the scriptures where Jesus himself used signs to warn about impending judgment. 
Now, this morning I'd like to kind of break it up so we can follow it easier in, in three different ways. How God warns his people before judgment comes. Clearly, we have a case in point with our text this morning. I want to use Old Testament examples. I want to use Jesus in the New Testament using signs. When you see this sign, then do this. And then finally, as false doctrine was creeping into the church, we have the Apostle Paul warning about what's going to take place um, after his departure. And it is a sign of a warning, but it's spoken verbally through the Apostle Paul. So let's go back to um, our text here. And notice in verse 2 of chapter 5, he basically um, gets a shave and a haircut. <laughs> and the Lord tells him to take it, weigh it in a balance, and divide it in thirds. One third of his hair is to be burned. One third is to be scattered into the, uh, with the cut with the sword, and one third will be scattered into the wind. Um, the picture illustration is simply this: that one third of the people um, will die by the sword. Uh, one third will be scattered in the wind. Uh, one third will be burned as the temple will be burned. And if you notice in verse four, it says, then take some of them, some leftover, again, and throw them into the midst of the fire and burn them with the fire, for there will be a fire that goes out from the house of Israel. And we have, uh, as our text this morning, um, this being laid out for us. In verse six, we have the reason given that God is going to judge Jerusalem. So we read in verse 6 the reason. It says, They have rebelled against my judgments. They have done wickedly, more than the nations around them. My statutes more than the countries that are all around her, for they have refused my judgments, and they have not walked in my ways. And then, in case it's not really, really clear about the thirds, let me draw your attention to verses uh, 12 through 13 where he lays it out very, very plainly. He says in verse 12, one-third of you will die of the pestilence and be consumed with famine in your midst. One-third will die by the sword all around you, and I will scatter another third to all the winds and I will draw out my sword after them. Thus will my anger be spent, and I will cause my fury to rest upon them, and I will be avenged. And they shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it, and my zeal, when I have sent my fury upon them. Now again, the reason that Ezekiel has to do this is the people are confused. On one hand, you got Ezekiel's negative message. On the other hand, like today, you have prophets telling people what they want to hear. And Ezekiel stood alone, and he says, I can only share what the Lord has spoken. He's spoken to me to cut my hair and my beard and to counteract the false teaching of the false prophets. Um, you're 
Those in Jerusalem that aren't scattered to the wind will be killed by the sword or burned in the fire. Now at this time, as we get into Ezekiel chapter five, it it amazes me how integrated the scriptures are and how they are connected. And when the Lord says for the generations to come, he's going to be showing us things that are in this book that we've never seen before. Remember he said heaven and earth will pass away, but this book will never pass away. So I'm gonna put something on the screen right now. It is a parallel study between the book of Ezekiel and the book of Revelation. And to be quite honest with you, I stumbled across this this week And the more I got into it, the more it blew me away. Just how the Holy Spirit, after all these years, again, there's one author, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And what we have in chapter five here is a parallel. In chapter five, verse 17, these plays correspond to Revelation's second seal, a great sword, the third seal, famine, and the fourth seal, death, by sword and famine, and the pestilence by the wild beast. Now, I'm going to be referring to this chart as we make our way through um, the book of Ezekiel. And hopefully what it will do is, number one, blow your mind, because John wrote 96 AD, and here's Ezekiel writing before the fall of Babylon in 586 BC. And yet the Holy Spirit intertwines them in such a way that it's totally mind-blowing when you see it. And it's one of the ways when the scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God, the Lord has something for everybody. He's got milk for the baby Christian, teaching you your ABCs, Hebrews 6, verses 1 and 2, the elementary principles. But then for those of you who are seasoned veterans, you know your word well, Believe me, there's always something deeper. And when the Lord says he's gonna be revealing these things in the ages to come, I can't wait to hear a Bible study from Jesus for the first time. Good place for an amen. Can you imagine? It's like Cleopas and his buddy on the day when they've got their head and their tail tucked between their legs and they're all bummed out. They're going home. Oh, we thought he was the Messiah, but he's dead. We're going home. And the Lord just shows up. And he said, oh, slow of heart. Um, Not to believe all that the scriptures say about the Messiah, how he was to suffer. And then beginning with Moses, he gave them a Bible study. And while he gave them the Bible study, he says, didn't our hearts begin to burn? They go, whoa, I never saw that before. Whoa, I never saw that before. And then when it came supper time, and came time for him to pray for the meal while he was exposed. And then he disappeared. It took him all day to get to um, Emmaus. It took him one hour to run all the way back to Jerusalem. Oh, we've seen the Lord, and he's risen. And by the way, he's appeared to Simon Peter too. So the Lord is going to open open up the scriptures, but also for us now. So here's a very important verse for our study this morning. comes from the book of Amos, chapter three. Two verses, seven and eight. It says, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servant, 
the prophets. The Bible is not a mystery. Um, We know what is going to take place next. We don't know all the pieces. God told Daniel many things. Daniel wanted to know more. And he said, sorry, Daniel, they're shut up and sealed. But then there's not a period there, there's a word until. They're shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Then many will travel to and fro, knowledge will increase, none of the wicked will understand these things, but the wise will understand. Question, who are the wise and how do you get wisdom? Answer, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And those who are born again and have their eyes open, just like Cleopas and his friends, their eyes were open and they understood it was the Lord. So for those who are willing to take the time and be serious students of the Bible, there isn't anything the Lord says that I'll keep back from you. He says, all things that I've heard from the Father, everything, I'm going to give them to you. Here they are. And all we have to do is take the time, study them chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and you'll get the Lord's plan of redemption, his plan for Israel, the plan for the ages. It's all here. How do I know? The Lord will do nothing unless he reveals it first to his servants or prophets. No surprises. So here we are in Ezekiel, and uh, it's a warning um, to the people in Babylon not to rebel. This morning, as I mentioned earlier, I want to give examples of this, Old Testament, New Testament. And let's begin in the Old Testament by turning back to a a warning before judgment. Actually, it's the first major judgment in Genesis chapter seven, the flood. So let's make our way back to Genesis. Noah knew seven days before the flood came, the Lord told him. He says, in seven days, Noah, it's gonna happen. His entire life, he's been building this, and I'll put it up on the screen. In Kentucky, I think it's Ken Ham's organization, some of you from the fellowship have actually gone down and worked on this. This is a two-scale model of Noah's Ark. I can show you many pictures on the inside, but for the sake of time this morning, I decided not to. But this is the real deal. And this is a sign because it had never rained before. The Bible tells us that the earth was watered. There was probably a water canopy that engulfed the earth. And um, when Noah was a preacher, it says of righteousness. What was he preaching? He was preaching judgment. And as a sign of that judgment was imminent, he had spent his entire life, the measurements, the details you can read on your own, And for his generation, he was faithful to warn people that God's judgment was imminent. And so let's read the first uh, six verses where it got to the point where it became so obvious that the the boat was done. Did you you hear me? I said boat because I'm from Wisconsin. So the boat... And the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. 
and you and your household because I have seen that your generation before me in this generation. And you shall take with you seven each of every clean animal. I had some guy corner me in the whirlpool at the YMCA one time. And he asked me what I did and I told him. And he said, all right, I got a question. He said, nobody has ever answered my question correctly. How many animals went into the boat? And I said, well, seven of every clean kind and two of every unclean. Dropped his head. He says, you're the first guy that ever answered that correctly. Because what does everybody think? Two by two. It's not two by two. There was seven clean and two unclean. You shall make seven each of every clean animal, male and female. Two of each animal, they are clean and male and female. And seven each of the birds of the air and female and keep the species alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And I will destroy the face of the earth, all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came on the earth. Well, we'll read, we read in chapter 5, verse 32, that Noah was 500 years old and begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. He's been working on this thing for over 100 years. So, on verse 8 of clean birds, beasts that are unclean of birds and everyone that creeps out of the earth, two by two they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. But my point in this is that it's a sign. And the sign, uh, and even to the year the Lord gave a sign, and before I get into the details of the ark, I want you to go back to chapter five. And let me introduce you to the oldest man who ever lived, Methuselah. 969 years old. And um, we read in verse 22 that uh, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God and um, for 300 years and begot sons and daughters So the days of Enoch were 365, and we have here Methuselah. Now, I'm going to come back to this in closing this morning, but let me just give you the root meaning of the word Methuselah. Enoch named his son actually as a sign. It is a prophecy. The name Methuselah comes from two roots, Muth, Uh, That means death. And from Shalak, which means to bring or to send forth. Thus the name Methuselah signifies his death shall bring. Well, shall bring what? It shall bring the flood, the judgment. The year Methuselah died, the flood came. And you've seen those charts of the age of all the men. And the year that the flood came was the same year that Methuselah died. 
And it was meant to be a message, a warning sign of watching this guy. To me, the fact that he's the oldest man in the world, if you dig a little deeper and think about it, the Bible says that the Lord is slack that none none should perish. But he's long-suffering, right? So what better type of instrument to use than a man named his death shall come, but have him be the oldest man who ever lived. Thus a picture of God's long suffering, his patience, and it's played out with, with um, Methuselah being the oldest man who ever lived. Now, there's also the sign of the ark itself. Just imagine, it never rained before, never flooded before. And now you got this crazy old guy that's preaching righteousness, and he's building an ark. I'm sure that they thought he was crazy. Some crazy old man building this monstrosity on dry land. And um, I'm sure they mocked him, just as the Bible says when we talk about the rapture of the church. Just like Noah, it never rained before. Well, nothing like the rapture has ever happened before. And so when we tell people that this event is gonna take place before judgment, The Bible says scoffers are going to come in the last days, saying, where is the promise of his coming? And they will laugh. (laughs) You crazy Christians, you think you're gonna just disappear and be gone? And we have that, but it's not that it hasn't happened before. In Noah's day, it never rained before, and I'm sure they scoffed because none of them believed. Only Noah and his family were saved. But the typology here is off the charts as far as the instrument that God used to save. And with that, I want to point out that Noah, when he built the ark, the Lord said, only make one door. So there was only one way to get into that which is going to save you. What does that make you think of? Makes me think of John 10, verse nine, where Jesus said, I am the door. If anybody enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and find pasture. You go, Dwight, nice try, but it's just one shot at one door. Could have been a coincidence. All right, let's take it a step farther. You're in the boat, and now judgment comes. It's not just what came down from above, but it says the fountains of the deep broke up also and covered not just a portion of the Middle East, but the entire planet. And our trip to the Grand Canyon last year or the year before is undisputable evidence of a worldwide flood. If you look at chapter eight, uh, verse four, the flood came to rest And I believe that Jesus is a picture of the ark. But here's more evidence. We read in verse four that after the 40 days and 40 nights, the waters were on the face of the earth for 150 days. It says the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month on the mountains of Arafat. Why do we need to know that? What's the significance of giving us the month and a date. Well, eventually, that became the 17th of Nisan. 
Uh, You may not recognize the 17th of Nisan, but the 14th of Nisan happens to be on a Jewish calendar what they call Passover. Anything of significant in the life of Jesus happened on the 14th of Nisan on Passover? Yeah. As John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, he was killed on the 14th of Nisan. 14 plus 3 equals 17. Anything of significance happened three days later? Oh, yeah. He came to rest. The work was over. So the 17th of Nisan is exactly the date and why the Holy Spirit decided to put it in the book. So he came to rest. It was over. And that was three days while he was, judgment was being done. Jesus died on the cross and it was finished. He went to Hades, the paradise. He took the keys of death and hell. And that all happened on the 17th of Nisan. Just a coincidence, I'm sure. Take it a step farther. I also believe that we have in this, these chapters a picture of the pre-tribulation rapture. Now we're told in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we're to be comforted. The church is to be comforted. We're to know the times and the seasons. We are to know the warning signs as Christians. Good place for an amen. We're we're supposed to know. And um, Paul writing to the Thessalonians says, I want you guys to be comforted over this. I don't want you freaking out or be afraid that God has a plan. You're not appointed to wrath. This is wrath, world judgment. If you go back to chapter five, verse 24, we have a picture of the rapture. We read in verse 22, after chapter five, after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God for 300 years and begot sons and daughters. And God walked, Enoch walked with God and he was not. What does that mean? Because God took him. He was raptured. So here we have a picture of the rapture. He's one of two people in the Old Testament who never saw death. Elijah and Enoch. And for that reason, um, some people, and I I would not argue with them about him, I, I believe it's Moses, but because Enoch never saw death, some people point out the scripture is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And that's a good argument. Um, but here I believe the Lord used it more as an illustration as we studied the scriptures, we're told to, that Enoch walked with God and all of a sudden the Lord took him home. And um, my point is that um, he took him home before the judgment came. And I think it's consistent with what the New Testament um, teaches when it comes to the rapture of the church. I believe there should be an Old Testament picture for New Testament teachings. And if it's a pre-tribulational rapture that you believe in, then there should be a picture of it in the Old Testament. And there's not just one, without exception. Let's just flip over to chapter 19, verse 22. The setting is... is, um, Um, the Lord appearing to Abraham and he's on his way to Sodom and Gomorrah 
because of its wickedness. They were having gay and lesbian day every day. And um, the Lord was going to judge Sodom, not just for their sexual immorality, but because of their pride and their arrogance. That's also part of the scriptures. But when they told Lot and his wife and the family that God was going to bring judgment, their kids laughed at him. Just like some of you parents are trying to witness and warn to make sure that your house is in order, the rapture is imminent. Jesus said, watch. My question, if we're to watch, then he should tell us what to watch for. Another good place for an amen. This is common sense stuff, guys. If the Lord says watch, be ready, then there should be something we should be watching and being ready for. It just makes sense. So here, of course, it sounded crazy. What do you mean our city is gonna be destroyed? It's just gonna be destroyed. So it says, while they lingered, and Lot is sort of shuffling his feet, his wife doesn't want to go at all, the angels took their hands and pulled them out of the city. And now we get away in verse 22, and it says, hurry, the angels are saying, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. What? They couldn't bring judgment until what? Until Lot and his family were out. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. And um, those are just two examples before the Lord will bring judgment and uh, he will remove his family. Now, like I said earlier, let's fast forward to, to our times. And Jesus, in talking about the rapture in Matthew 24, no man knows the day or the hour, um, but the times and the seasons we're supposed to know. So what are some present-day warning signs? Well, before there's ever a major war, a country will call back its ambassadors. Matter of fact, it just happened this week. I think it was in Nigeria, and I'll get to Nigeria in just a little bit. Um, a country will call back its ambassadors when war is imminent. It's one of the last things that should make us worried when we start calling back our ambassadors from a country. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are ambassadors for Christ uh, for as though Christ was pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, get saved, be reconciled to God. Uh, We will be called home in the same way that Noah and his family were called seven days before, get in the boat, it's time. Just like Lot was warned by the angels, get out of here, judgment is coming. And even when they were out, Jesus speaking of Noah. So if you ever wonder if Jesus believed in, in the flood and Noah and Lot, he says, as it was in the days of what? Noah. So will it be when the Son of Man comes again, when no man knows the day or the hour. So the Lord is gonna call his church out before judgment comes. And these are just two Old Testament pictures. All right, that was number one. Let's let's go to the New Testament, number two, where Jesus warns of signs in the last days. Matthew chapter 24. Verses three through seven. 
We read in verse three, this is called the Olivet Discourse. 24 and 25 is the complete rendering of that. In verse three, his disciples, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be, the last days? And then notice this, what will be the sign? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus said to him, take heed that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name saying I am Christ, will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. Now, if you look also in Matthew 24, verse 15, here Jesus is going to give a warning sign to those that are living during the great tribulation period. And I'm sure that the two witnesses are gonna to refer to this verse quite often. For he says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, what is that? It's a sign, a warning sign for the people who are living in the middle of the tribulation. He says, when you see this, it's gonna be a warning sign because the Antichrist is gonna wanna wipe out every living Jew so they don't call upon the name of the Lord. He says, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, whosoever reads, let him understand. When you see this sign, it's a warning sign, then run. And uh, a couple weeks, a month ago, ago, we talked about Petra and Selah and where, Basra, where they're gonna run to. A warning sign uh, for the tribulation saints will be the Antichrist going into the temple, showing himself to be God. If you do not worship him, you will die if you do not take his name or his mark. And here, uh, my question is, do we see warning signs on the horizon today? And my answer with explanation points, oh yes, we do. He says there'll be wars and famines and earthquakes. This week I was watching a PBS special on Nigeria and the guy was beside himself. And you have to be watching, maybe it was BBC, because all they're talking about here is um, Hillary and Trump. That's, that's pretty much all you hear all the time and we're going to until election time. Um, anyway, I was watching a special, and it, it, this was either BBC or PBS, I don't remember. Um, the guy is on and he's beside himself because nobody's listening. He said, this is unprecedented in our time in Nigeria because as I speak, there's such a famine that is unfolding, it's going to kill three million people. Three million people. And some of you are just hearing this because I'm quoting what is going on right now. And he's trying to sound the alarm bells because of what's happening there. What did Jesus say would be one of the signs of the last days? Famines. Famines would be a sign. And then uh, we're told that um, there'd be earthquakes 
and um, pestilences. The word pestilence is there. Well, the, the, the deaths that occurred in Haiti is one thing. It's over a thousand now. And um, with Hurricane Matthew and Nicole, back to back hurricanes. Their main concern now, um, the city of Jack Mill uh, was completely destroyed. But the concern now is cholera. Um, tens of thousands of people died after the earthquake in 2010 because of cholera. What is cholera? Cholera is a pestilence, and it is a direct result of the Hurricane Matthew that, um, that went through. In Luke um, chapter 21, as far as signs, in verse 25, he says, and there will be signs, there it is again, in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, that's in the heaven signs, and on the earth, distress of nations. Is Syria in distress right now? Isn't that the biggest understatement I've ever made? And a humanitarian crisis that continues to build and build. And unfortunately, we're, we're way too numb to it because we hear about it every day. But um, in Luke 21, it says, distress of nations with perplexity. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And then it says, in the sea and the waves roaring as a sign. And that's what we just saw happen with the devastation in Haiti and particularly the cholera. All right. The third one, final one this morning, is in the New Testament, Paul's warning. Because one of the things that, the first thing that Jesus says four times in Matthew chapter 24, the biggest sign, will be false doctrine, false teachers, and false prophets. Did Ezekiel have false prophets to contend with? Yep. Are we going to have false doctrine and teaching entering into the church in the last days? Yep. Matter of fact, that's one of the key signs that Jesus said. People will get away from the inerrancy of the word of God. I heard one Calvary Chapel pastor, probably the most prominent one, I won't mention his name, but he pastors in Costa Mesa. He says we should get away from teaching through the Bible chapter and by chapter and verse by verse at a major Bible conference on the West Coast. Then on a pastor's perspective, he wants to ordain women and put them in the pulpit. Are we getting away from the, the absolutes of Scripture? I saw a couple of heads hang. I'm glad because it's sad to see it happening, as we're getting away in our own movement from things that were clearly a part of who we are and what we stand for and what we believe. For the record, we're not going anywhere. We're not changing anything. And next week we're going to be in Ezekiel 7, 8, and 9, okay? And when we get to the book of Revelation, guess where we're going? Back to the book of Genesis. Until the Lord comes, I want to be able to say, no, we gave the full counsel of God every bit of it, and not marginalize it and say, no, people can't handle the book of Jeremiah. That's a direct quote because it's so wordy and it isn't relevant. Isn't relevant. Ezekiel, our study this morning, isn't relevant. And, and connecting the dots, I better get back to my study or I'm already in trouble. 
1 Corinthians 14. This is the Apostle Paul when he talks about warning. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14. He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as beloved children, I want to warn you. Well, that's not very loving, Dwight, to be warning people all the time. No. And there'll be times when we get into the psalm and we're in Psalm 150 and we'll make a joyful noise into the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And there's um, scriptures, Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for the good, but we'll get there. But until there, you have to have all of it. Uh, I call it our ABCs. Paul says, I warned you, for though you may may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus have I begotten you through the gospel. So do we have um, signs um, today? Well, um, flip over to Acts chapter 20 in the New Testament. Acts 20, verses 29 and 32. Acts 20, verses 29. I can't help but think of Pastor Chuck here as he was concerned about what might happen to the Calvary Chapel movement after his departure. Remember talking to him one on one about it actually. In verse 20, 29, Paul says, Now this is just 20, 30 years after the Lord was gone. For I know this that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among you, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. And remember, for three years, I did not cease to what? Warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul saw it coming. It broke his heart. And so for three years, he did this with tears, warning. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4. 1 Corinthians 14, 4. Oops, I got my notes wrong on that one because I know it's not 1 Corinthians 14, 4. Well, guess what? The second service is going to have it right, so if you want to stick around to find out what my notes were wrong on that part, I will have it for you. 4.14, no, oh, 4.14, yes, that's what it is, bingo, somebody's been sharp this morning, it is 4.14, thank you, brother, Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14 says, for I did not write these things to shame you, but as beloved children, to warn you. And I've, again, I've, I've quoted that scripture. So warning is a big part of when we see false doctrine coming down the pike. Um, and there's a lot of it out there. A lot of, we do our best with um, 
having Mary come up and give prophecy updates from time to time. And we have news bites every single week because we want you to be on the cutting edge of what's out there. Many of you are real busy. We're all real busy. We don't have the time to do really good research like we should. Um, One thing I I want to aware of, people are always asking about the Alpha Course. And you need to know about the Alpha Course. And you have to study, though, to to find out what that's all about. Get Mary's track. It's very thorough. It's very in-depth. Read it. And you'll be knowledgeable about Um, this entering the church. Again, it's being taught at Costa Mesa. And I can't believe it, that these things would happen. And yet, indeed it is. But the question is, if we're warned about the signs, um, do we see signs um, pointing to the Lord's return today? Ezekiel 38 tells a war between Russia, Iran, and a coalition of nations that will attack Israel in the last days. And now the question here is easy. Do we see Russia and Iran in the Middle East today, and is the stage being set for the fulfillment of this particular prophecy? Let me just read an article that I found this week that's called Russia Prepares for War, and I can only take three or four paragraphs out. But if you haven't been following this, uh, they just Russia just broke their agreement uh, with their nuclear deal. They're building, we're dismantling. Um, and I'm quoting now from an article called Russia Prepares for War. Many experts fear that Russia has begun to accelerate to a war footing uh, from direct warnings to the United States in Syria to thinly veiled threats of invasions in Sweden, Lithuania, Norway, Russia is making its intentions clear, while at the same time positioning warships, anti-aircraft missiles, nuclear weapons, and divisions of its military in preparations for war. Just this last Thursday, just one day before signing the treaty that would allow an indefinite Russia presence at the Kremlin air base in Syria, in Syria, Russia warned the U.S., that its air defense missiles would fire upon any foreign power attempting to fly over Syria airspace, including U.S. warplanes, should they try to interfere with Assad's brutal opposition. So now we have Assad being supported by Russia, and Russia basically flexing their muscles and says, anybody that tries to stop us will take out. And then he said nuclear weapons is not off the table. Openly, usually they, they veil it in a threat. Not anymore. Nuclear weapons can be used. Tensions have reached higher and possibly exist for a single bomber missile to uh, trigger war on a scale that the world hasn't seen for more than half a century since World War II. One Rus- Russian official recently summed up such fears by stating that if a U.S. plane were seen as a threat to Syrian or Russian troops, there would be no time for a red phone hotline call before it would be shot down by anti-aircraft missiles. This is, there is a wider war that would inevitably follow is a foregone conclusion. Now, here's the warning sign. Now, the warning sign is going to lead up to a prophecy in the Bible that has not yet been fulfilled. 
And what's happening with the buildup, especially Russia, with the lies with Iran, would lead us to what I believe we might actually see before the Lord takes us home. We might be able to see the Ezekiel 38 war. There's no way, I believe, that we're any part of the seven-year tribulation. But we might be able to watch this happen. So remember, you may have heard it here first. I hope not. I hope you're doing your own homework and you're aware of these things. But if you're not, then Isaiah 17 says this. It's never been fulfilled. Chapter 17, verse 1, the burden against Damascus. Where is Assad's headquarters? Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city and it will be a ruinous heap. Well, how could that happen? I have an American plane fly over Syria and they would shoot it down or lobbing a gas canister uh, with its missiles over the Golan Heights. How long do you think Israel would tolerate that? Bye-bye, Damascus. And so my question is simple. If Jesus tells us to watch, watch for what? To me, that answer is obvious. Clearly, we've been talking about the Ezekiel 38 war for many, many years. And if you don't see the Russia wanting to be involved in the Middle East, uh, holding up Assad, well, push is going to come to shove, and eventually this prophecy will be fulfilled. It's a warning sign. But with every warning sign, the Lord always has a sign fulfilled. Case in point, the flood. Warning signs, and then it happened. All right, as we begin to wind up this morning, I want to go back and I want to present the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. Go back to Genesis chapter 5. Some of you are familiar with this. Some of you are not. I would like to close this morning with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what the gospel is. Here is a summary of God's plan of salvation hidden within the genealogy in Genesis. You will never convince me that a group of Jewish rabbis deliberately contrived to hide the Christian gospel right here in the genealogy um, against their Torah. So as you begin in Genesis chapter five, you have the names of the generations from Adam to Noah. In verse one, you have Adam. Now, the first name Adam comes from Adama, which means man. As the first man, that seems straightforward enough. But then you have Seth. Adam's son's name was Seth, which means appointed. When he was born, Eve said, for God has appointed me another seed instead of Abel, who Cain slew. Enosh, was uh, Seth's son was called Enosh, which means mortal or frail. It is from the root Anash, to be incurable, used as a wound, grief, or sickness, or wickedness. It was in the days of Enosh that man began to defile the name of the living God. And then you have Kenan. Kenan's uh, son was named Kenna, from which we get the word sorrow. The precise um, denotation is somewhat elusive. 
Some study aids unfortunately presume an Aramaic root word with Canaan. Balaam looked down from the heights of Moab, employed a pun upon the name of the Canaanites when he prophesied their destruction. So that would be Canaan. Then we have Amaliel. Amaliel, in the genealogy in chapter 5, means blessed or praise, and El, the name for God. So El, E-L, singular, Elohim would be plural. Thus, Amaliel means the blessed God. Often Hebrew names include El, E-L, the name of God, as in Daniel, God is my judge, or Nathaniel, gift of God, etc. Jared, uh, Mahaliel's son was named Jared, uh, comes from the uh, verb yahard, meaning shall come down. Some authorities suggest that this might have been an allusion to the sons of God who came down to corrupt the daughters of Ben, the fallen ones in Genesis 6.3. Enoch, uh, names means teaching or commencement. He was the first of four generations of preachers. In fact, the earliest record prophecy was by Enoch, which amazingly enough deals with the second coming of Christ. Methuselah, we already went through. Um, Methuselah, his name again, we talked about, was preached for four generations. And um, his death shall bring is the two root words that make up his name. Now, when you put them all together, and um, Lamech uh, means the despairing, and Noah, if you look um, in verse 32 is the last one, means rest or comfort. So here you have the names of all of them. But what's interesting is that when you put them all together in sentence form, just using their names, it would come out something like this. Man appointed mortal, sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing rest or comfort. Just a coincidence, I'm sure. And yet we have this laid out and there's no way that I believe that any of this was a coincidence but unbelievable evidence of design. The implications of this discovery are far more deeply significant than may be evident at first glance. It demonstrates that in the earliest chapters of the book of Genesis, God had already laid out a plan of redemption uh, for the, the predicament of mankind. It is the beginning of a love story, ultimately written in blood on a wooden cross which was erected in Judea almost 2,000 years ago. This is also one of many evidences that the Bible is an integrated message system, the product of supernatural engineering. This punctuates the, the presumptions of many who view the Bible as a record of evolving culture and tradition, uh, noble though it may be. It claims to be the author by one 
who alone knows the end from the beginning. Twelve, um, despite the fact that a, comp- a composition that has 66 different books penned by some 40 different authors spanning over um, 1,500 years. So we have this warning and the gospel actually presented. Um, I'll close with saying, please don't ignore the warning signs. Please don't ignore, ignore the warning signs. Just as Ezekiel, his hair was divided into three sections, that judgment was certain. Put yourself in a crowd. Half of them are hoping the false teachers were right and they'd be going home, but they weren't going home. The good news is we are going home and the signs are all around because we are living in the times of the signs. Jesus said the nation that sees the regathering of the nation of Israel against all odds will see the fulfillment of all Bible prophecy. My friends, that is either true or false. There's no in between with what I just said. The generation that sees the regathering of the nation of Israel will see the fulfillment of all Bible prophecy. Question is, do you understand the gospel? God sent his son down, teaching, ministering for 33 for three years of his 33 years. And then right before he died, his dying words, people say, listen up when a man is speaking his dying words. The Olivet Discourse was the day before he was taken. And what did he want to talk about? He wanted to talk about the times, signs of the times. Look out for the false teachers. Uh, look out for the false doctrine. By the way, there's gonna be hurricanes, winds and the seas raging, famines, Wars, rumors of wars. I see them. Amen? Let's close with that. Let's stand. Lord, as we get into Ezekiel this morning, we thank you for your word. And just how far into it we can get. Your word is awesome, Lord. And you're awesome. We know we don't deserve your grace. But Lord, we're grateful for your grace. And Lord, in closing this morning, I just pray for anybody here that has never accepted you as their Lord and Savior. I pray your spirit would touch them right now and let them know that your word is far deeper and broader than they could possibly imagine. But you want to reveal it to them. But they must be born again and you must repent of your sin and turn from your ways. And if you do, the Lord will be there to meet you and cleanse you. And he will take that sin and he says he will remember it no more. So Lord, I pray for that one this morning, either here or listening, they're just not sure. Jesus, please touch him, him or her, and let them know that you love them and you paid a great price that they could have salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.